We are heirs to the universe, and we have been given massive, incredible power that we must use with wisdom again, over and over and over again. We are given this template for how to operate physical reality, and it is based on spiritual principles, and the Bible is a wealth of these spiritual principles when correctly interpreted. All right, welcome back to another episode of Daily Neville. I am your host, Josiah Brandt, and Daily Neville is all about breaking down the teachings of Neville Goddard, making them easy to understand, easy to digest, easy to apply in 20 minutes or less. In today's episode, we are continuing our exploration of Neville's 1945 book titled Prayer, the Art of Believing. And in our last episode, episode two, we discovered that the full title of the book is actually Prayer, the Art of Believing, What is Denied by the Senses, a powerful new definition of the idea of prayer. In today's episode, we are continuing this exploration and we are diving into the next chapter of this book, which is titled Imagination and Faith. Chapter 3. Neville writes, Prayers are not successfully made unless there is rapport between the conscious and the subconscious mind of the operator. This is done through imagination and faith. So through imagination and faith, a rapport can be built between the conscious and subconscious mind of the operator who is the being that is praying. By the power of imagination, all men, and certainly imaginative men, are forever casting forth enchantments. And all men, especially unimaginative men, are continually passing under their power. This is an extremely powerful sentence. In the last episode of Daily Neville, we were talking about how we are all living in divine mind. The reality that we are experiencing is essentially a dream in divine mind. And we have, because we all share one mind, we're all individual points of consciousness within divine mind, we have the ability to influence each other's behavior. And in this sentence, Neville is revealing that it is imaginative men and women who have an outsized ability to cast forth enchantments and therefore to modify and influence the behavior of others, in particular, those who are not imaginative. Those who are dominated by the world of the senses will be easily controlled, influenced, and swayed by those who are aware of higher realms. By the power of imagination, all men, certainly imaginative men, are forever casting forth enchantments. And all men, certainly unimaginative men, are continually passing under their power. Can we ever be certain that it was not our mother, while darning our socks, who began that subtle change in our minds? If I can unintentionally cast an enchantment over persons, there is no reason to doubt that I am able to cast intentionally a far stronger enchantment. Everything that can be seen, touched, explained, argued over, is to the imaginative man nothing more than a means, for he functions by reason of his controlled imagination in the deep of himself, where every idea exists in itself and not in relation to something else. In him, 
the mind of the imaginative man, there is no need for the restraints of reason. For the only restraint he can obey is the mysterious instinct that teaches him to eliminate all moods other than the mood of fulfilled desire. This is the extremely powerful human being, the extremely imaginative human being who completely disregards the evidence of the senses and chooses to stand within the power of the imaginative mind dwelling in the deep, the infinite treasure house of eternity from which all things spring forth. This is a state of being, a state of being that any of us can assume, any of us can choose to identify with the infinite treasure house of eternity rather than the finite manifested world. Let us make manifestations in the image of our subconscious assumptions. Imagination and faith are the only faculties of mind needed to create conditions. Imagination and faith create conditions. And that's all you need. Imagination and faith. What is faith? The assumptions of the subconscious mind. Subconscious mind does not ask whether the assumption is true or false. It simply outpictures conditions that mirror the nature of the assumption. The faith required, Neville writes, for the successful operation of the law of consciousness is purely subjective faith and is attainable upon the cessation of active opposition on the part of the objective mind of the operator. Another very thickly worded sentence. We're going to break it down. What Neville is saying very simply is that the only faith required is belief without opposition. In other words, calm down your conscious mind that tells you it doesn't exist and pay greater attention to your subconscious mind, which is the storehouse of eternity in which it does exist. It depends upon your ability to feel and accept as true what your objective senses deny. Your ability to pray successfully depends upon your ability to feel and accept as true what your senses deny. Prayer, the art of believing what your senses deny. Ooh, this is powerful. Neither the passivity of the subject nor his conscious agreement with your suggestion is necessary. For without his consent or knowledge, he can be given a subjective order, which he must objectively express. What is Neville saying here? He is saying that you can cast forth enchantments over others without their consent or knowledge. You can cast forth enchantments that they must objectively express. This is the secret power of the universe. This is the secret power of this reality, and it is being revealed using spiritual concepts. It is a fundamental law of consciousness, Neville writes, that by telepathy, we can have immediate communion with another. Why is telepathy a fundamental law of consciousness, especially when science struggles to prove that it exists? Because we are all living and dreaming in divine mind. There is one divine mind, and we all share it. 
There is one mass consciousness that we all share. We're all individual points of awareness in one divine mind. And that is why in the law of consciousness, by telepathy, we have immediate communication with another. Neville's now going to teach us how to cast forth enchantments. If you're going to use this power, my friend, use it wisely, with integrity, and love, for there is no other. What you do to another, you do to yourself. To establish rapport, you call the subject mentally. Focus your attention on him or her and mentally shout the name, just as you would to attract the attention of anyone. Imagine that they have answered and mentally hear their voice. Represent them to yourself inwardly and the state you want them to obtain. Represent yourself. Present, right? So you're imagining that the person is in the state that you would like to see them in. You're calling them using telepathy. You're calling them with your mind. And when you hear them answer, you place them in that state that you would like to see them present and obtain. You imagine that this person is telling you in the ordinary tones of conversation what you want to hear. Hear the person that you are praying for confirming to you the truth of your assumption, the truth of your enchantment that you are casting over the person, place, thing, or situation. Mentally answer this person. Tell them of your joy in witnessing their good fortune. Having mentally heard with all the distinctness of reality that which you wanted to hear, and having thrilled to the news heard, return to your normal objective consciousness. Your subjective conversation must awaken what it affirmed. And that, my friends, is how you pray for another. That is how you pray for another, because that is how you actively insert a program into divine mind. That is how you actively cast forth an enchantment in divine mind. That is how you pray, which is prayer is the art of believing what is denied by the senses. And how do you believe what is denied by the senses? You go into a state and you see it verified. You see it verified by hearing the voice of another. Having that mental conversation, casting forth that enchantment and receiving confirmation in your own divine imagination, which is the storehouse of eternity. Thou shalt decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee. We are heirs to the universe, and we have been given massive, incredible power that we must use with wisdom. It is not a strong will that sends the subjective word on its mission, so much as it is clear thinking and feeling the truth of the state affirmed. So it's not that you are forcing your will upon another, but rather that you are thinking clearly and feeling the truth of that being in that state. Feeling the truth. When belief and will are in conflict, belief invariably wins. So I can will something to be a certain way, but if I believe it is other than that certain way, it's my belief that will win. My will cannot overcome my belief. And the best case scenario is that the two are aligned. Not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, divine mind, many hosts within divine mind. Divine mind is the Lord of hosts, and divine mind is telling you, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, saith divine mind. It is not what you want that you attract. You attract what you believe to be true. It's not what you want that you get. You get what you are. And what you are is the state that you are in, which is the sum total of all of your beliefs, all that you believe to be true, all that you consent to being true about yourself and others. That is what you get. Therefore, get into the spirit of these mental conversations, Neville writes, and give them the same degree of reality that you would a telephone conversation. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye have received them already, and ye shall have them. It's Mark eleven twenty four. The acceptance of the end wills the means. You don't need to know how. You just have to see the end and trust that the bridge will be built to that desired end. The wisest reflection could not devise a more effective means than those which are willed by the acceptance of the end. Mentally talk to your friends as though your desires for them were already realized. Imagination is the beginning of the growth of all forms, and faith is the substance out of which they are formed. By imagination, that which exists in latency or is asleep within the deep of consciousness, that storehouse of eternity, that is awakened and it is given a form. The cures, which are attributed to the influence of certain medicines or relics or places, are actually the effects of imagination and faith. The curative power is not in the spirit that is in them. It is in the spirit in which they are accepted. In other words, the temple is not outside of you. You are the temple. You bring the power with you. The power is never outside of you. You bring the power. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. The subjective mind is completely controlled by suggestion. So whether the object of your faith be true or false, you will get the same results. So it doesn't matter if what you're believing is objectively or to the external world true or false. Subjective mind is controlled by your, your suggestion and your assumption, and therefore you will get the same results regardless of what the external world says at the beginning of the process. There is nothing unsound in the theory of medicine or in the claims of the priesthood for their relics and holy places. The subjective mind of the patient accepts the suggestion of health, conditioned on such states, and as soon as these conditions are met, proceeds to realize health. Therefore, it is your assumption that that pill that you're taking is going to cure you that creates the cure, not the pill itself. That doesn't mean that the pill is ineffective. It's just the power is not in the pill. The power is in your subconscious mind. And the pill is a condition, 
your subconscious mind has accepted and related to the state of health. According to your faith, be it done unto you. For all things are possible to him that believeth. Again, over and over and over again, we are given this template for how to operate physical reality, and it is based on spiritual principles. And the Bible is a wealth of these spiritual principles when correctly interpreted. Confident expectation of a state, Neville writes, is the most potent means of bringing it about. The confident expectation of a cure does that which no medical treatment can accomplish. Failure is always due to an antagonistic auto-suggestion by the patient. Okay, so moving forward here, Neville says, well, what if it fails? Well, failure, Neville says, is always due to an antagonistic auto-suggestion by the patient which arises from doubt of the power of the medicine or relic, or from doubt of the truth of the theory. Many of us, either from too little emotion or too much intellect, both of which are stumbling blocks in the way of prayer, cannot believe that which our senses deny. Okay, what are the two stumbling blocks to successful prayer? Too little emotion, meaning apathy. Too much intellect, meaning I'm using my brain in a beta brainwave, too awake, too aware of my five senses, too plugged into the so-called objective facts to be able to accept the suggestion. Those are the two stumbling blocks to successful prayer. To force ourselves to believe will end in greater doubt. To avoid such counter-suggestions, the patient should be unaware, objectively, of the suggestions which are made to him. To avoid such counter-suggestions, the patient should be unaware. This means that you don't call someone and tell them, I just cast an enchantment over you, because that will make them doubt it. Rather, you do it without telling them. You don't need their consent, particularly when you're doing it from a place of love. You do not need their consent or permission or even their conscious knowledge of it. You can simply pray for them. You don't have to call them and tell them that you're praying for them. You can simply do it. And Neville says you're actually likely to be more effective when you don't tell them. The most effective method of healing or influencing the behavior of others consists in what is known as the silent or absent treatment. When the subject is unaware, objectively, of the suggestion given to him, there is no possibility of him setting up an antagonistic belief, meaning that they're not likely to resist it if they don't know that you're doing it. It is not necessary, Neville writes, that the patient know that anything is being done for him. The more completely the objective mind is kept in ignorance of the suggestion, the better will the subjective mind perform its functions. So, if the conscious mind is unaware, the subconscious mind is more likely to accept the suggestion. The subject subconsciously accepts the suggestion and thinks that he originates it, which is proving the truth of Spinoza's dictum that we know not the causes that determine our actions. The subconscious mind 
is the universal conductor, which the operator modifies with its thoughts and feelings. Visible states are either the vibratory effects of subconscious vibrations within you, or they are the vibratory causes of corresponding vibrations within you. Visible states are either the effect of your subconscious vibrations or the causes of corresponding vibrations. A disciplined man never permits them to be causes unless they awaken in him desirable states of consciousness. So the disciplined man guards the awareness, guards the acceptance of subconscious suggestions. With a knowledge of the law of reversibility, the disciplined man transforms his world by imagining and feeling only what is lovely and of good report. The beautiful idea he awakens within himself shall not fail to arouse affinity in others. He knows the savior of the world is not a man, but the manifestation that would save. The sick man's savior is health. The hungry man's savior is food. The thirsty man's savior is water. He walks in the company of the savior by assuming the feeling of his wish fulfilled. By the laws of reversibility, that all transformations of force are reversible, the energy or feeling awakened transforms itself into the state imagined. He never waits four months for the harvest. If in four months the harvest will awaken in him a state of joy, then inversely the joy of the harvest now will awaken the harvest now. Now is the acceptable time to give beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Some very, very powerful illumination of the truth of the power of prayer in this chapter. In the next episode, we're going to talk about controlled reverie, or that state akin to sleep, where the conscious mind and the conscious senses are dimmed, and the subconscious mind becomes open to receiving suggestions. I hope that this episode was illuminating for you. I hope that it was beneficial to you and that you gained some wisdom from this deep dive exploration of these ideas. Until next time, my friends, imagine wisely. There's a whole world of exploration of these ideas that I don't share on YouTube. And if you want to get behind the scenes access to that information, you need to join my email list. There's a link in the description below. I look forward to seeing you there.